Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, you are the God who has created all things from the deepest caverns to the highest mountains and even to the highest heavens. Your light lights up the world. And we thank you that you have not left us in darkness, but you have revealed yourself in creation itself, even more so in your word, which you have spoken, and most of all, through your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray, speak to us now through the preaching of your word. Speak to our hearts and work your word deep within us. For this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Well, please open your Bibles with me to our sermon text, opening to this new book that we'll be studying, the book of Jonah. Looking this morning at chapter 1, just the first three verses, Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Most people, when they think about the book of Jonah, all they can think about is how he was swallowed by a great fish. That's all they know. It's a great children's story. And of course, we'll get there. He is swallowed by a great fish. And that's really only one small part of the story of Jonah. But what is the book of Jonah really all about? Really, this is a book about God, about how God can be both a just God and yet a merciful and gracious God. It's about Jonah, the man who had served the Lord for many years, but when he is confronted about who, by who God really is, this merciful and gracious God, he cannot handle it, and so he flees from the Lord. And so this book, it reveals our sin. It reveals how we, like Jonah, run from God. It reveals how deeply we need to know the Lord and how we, too, need to receive the grace of God. And so you could sum it up as a book about sin and about grace. The man who runs and the God who shows grace. The Ninevites who repent and the God who shows grace. This morning, we're looking at just the first few verses to get an introduction to Jonah and who is the main human character of the book. And the introduction here throws us right into the action as Jonah receives the word of the Lord and he immediately rejects it and he runs from the Lord. And this reveals the very essence of human sin, all our sin, which is to run away from God. But the good news is that the Lord does not give up on Jonah. He pursues after him. He does not let him go. And the Lord does the same for us. 
in sending his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the good shepherd who goes out to seek and to save his lost sheep. So we'll look at our passage this morning in three parts. First, the word of the Lord, which comes to Jonah. Second, Jonah's and our running from God. And third, God pursues after Jonah. So first, the word of the Lord comes. In verse one, we read, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. This opening verse, it's nearly identical to the opening verse of many of the other books of the prophets. When God's word comes to a man, it's his commission to a prophet to speak that word on his behalf. God's word goes forth, the man takes it up and he speaks, he declares it. God's word goes forth and it is done. This reminds us of the opening chapter of the Bible in which God created all things simply by speaking it and it came to pass. God said, let there be light and there was light. When God said, let the earth sprout vegetation or let the water swarm with creatures, whatever he spoke, it came to pass. That's the power of the word of God. His word is always true. It is always faithful. It is always trustworthy. But what stands out here is Jonah's response to the word. He has the dubious honor of being the only man in all of Scripture who refuses God's call. But there's history here. He's identified here as Jonah, the son of Amittai. And that shows us this is actually not the first time the word of the Lord had come to Jonah, as we saw in our reading in 2 Kings. Jonah was actually already a prophet. He had already proclaimed the word of the Lord. And while there's just a small detail about him in 2 Kings 14, we get enough to know a little bit about who he was. And perhaps he'd even done more than what we are told there in 2 Kings. But this section that we read, it records the history of the reign of the wicked king, Jeroboam II. He reigned 789 to 748 BC, a very long reign. But these were dark days for Israel. They were suffering terribly under the great oppression at the hands of the Assyrian Empire to the north. Now, ancient Assyria are often described by historians as a sort of terrorist state because they practiced a gruesome and vicious sort of warfare. Although there was a, a twisted sort of logic to it. Their strategy in those days, whenever they conquered a city, would be to be as horrifically brutal in their treatment of those that they conquered as they possibly could be. They would invent gruesome tortures. Of course, there were no international laws of warfare in those days. There was no distinguishing between soldiers and citizens. The strategy, the, the logic, the twisted logic of it was that when the surrounding cities heard of the horrors, they would immediately surrender rather than put up resistance and risk suffering the same fate as that first city that was conquered. And so this actually meant less battle, less overall bloodshed. It was an easier way to subdue whole foreign kingdoms. Now the Assyrians, we learn here in 2 Kings 14, they had made inroads, they had conquered portions of northern Israel. And while Israel still had their own king, the Assyrians had made Israel their vassal state. They had forced heavy burdens of tribute upon them, 
with a threat that if these confiscatory taxes, these tributes were not paid to Assyria, they would continue their march south. And so Israel was paying tributes to support Assyria's wars and further expansion. Now, what do we learn about Jeroboam? He's described as a wicked king, an evil king who followed in all the ways of his namesake, the original Jeroboam, who worshipped foreign gods, who rejected the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And yet, nevertheless, we read, he, that is Jeroboam, restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. Why? For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. So we see here that the Lord used this man Jonah to give hope to his people in their affliction, when they had cried out to him for help. Then he used this crooked stick, this wicked king, Jeroboam II, to draw a straight line, to push back the oppression of the Assyrians, to restore the borders of Israel, to free those of his people who had been taken captive. Now, in the midst of all this, you can imagine that Jonah had become very familiar with the Assyrians, with their brutality, with their harsh treatment of the Israelites. Now, since he was from, it's told here, from Gath-Hefer, a town in the far north of Israel, he may have even been in conquered territory. He likely knew people who had been brutalized or had even lost their lives to the Assyrians. And so you can be, you can understand, he was probably overjoyed when the Lord of the Lord came to him that first time. And he prophesied that their reign of terror was at an end. The Lord was setting his people free. Jonah was glad to declare that word of the Lord. The Lord is a God of mercy and grace. The Lord has heard your cries. Your affliction is over. But now, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. And perhaps it wasn't just the second time. Perhaps he had proclaimed other prophecies that are unrecorded that we don't know about. But the word of the Lord comes to him this time and is saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. As we consider this word, we'll see that if you just remove those first few words, Jonah most likely would have enthusiastically agreed with it. Let me explain. It was no surprise to Jonah that Nineveh was a great city. Technically, it wasn't the capital of the Assyrian Empire, but it was quickly becoming their greatest city. It would be made the capital of Assyria in the very next generation. It was no surprise to Jonah that evil was pouring forth from the city. He may have experienced the evils of the Assyrians himself. Perhaps his own hometown, as I said earlier, had been taken captive. So I imagine Jonah would have been glad to call out, to cry out against Nineveh, against the Assyrians. But what is the sticking point for Jonah? We have examples in the other prophets of what the biblical scholars call the oracles, the prophecies against the nations. For example, Jonah's contemporary Amos, 
He systematically, he goes through all the nations surrounding Israel and Judah. He calls out their sins. He declares God's judgment is coming against them. But Amos declared his prophecy against all these nations while remaining safely in Israel. The sticking point for Jonah is those first two words. What are they? Arise, go. It's the call from the Lord to go and to preach in the midst of the Ninevites. Go and preach to your greatest enemy. This struck Jonah as absurd, as an insanity. Can you imagine being told by God, go to Berlin at the height of World War II, go and tell those Nazis to repent? Would you do it? Could you do it? Would you march into the command center of a concentration camp in Poland and tell them, turn off those gas chambers, let the prisoners go free? To take an example from current events, would you go into the Gaza Strip today? Would you travel into Hamas's underground tunnels and tell them they must repent, they must turn from their acts of terror against the state of Israel? For Jonah to go into the heart of Nineveh, to this great and wicked city, to preach God's word, it sounded like a suicide mission. At best, he'll be mocked and derided, more likely imprisoned and killed. So what do you do when God calls you to do something that seems crazy, that seems impossible, or that simply doesn't make sense? There just doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. And we have the example of Jonah here, but we do have other examples from Scripture. We have the time when God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and slay him and offer him as a burnt offering to me. The word of the Lord, it made no sense. It came with no explanation. But Abraham knew God. He knew his character. He trusted him. He trusted his wisdom. He knew his record. He knew he was always faithful. Abraham himself had once challenged the Lord in the past. He said, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And the Lord had shown himself to be righteous. And so Abraham rested in the Lord's goodness and he obeyed the Lord. But what does Jonah do? He doesn't trust in the Lord's wisdom and goodness. He trusts in himself and his own wisdom. He thinks this word of the Lord to go and preach to your greatest enemies, go and enter into this mighty city and declare their wickedness, this goes against everything I stand for. And so we see he turns and he runs. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. As I said, Jonah is the only prophet in the Bible who reacts to a divine commission in this way, it's unheard of. In fact, it goes directly against Amos 3.8. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Every other prophet, the Lord calls them and they answer the call. The Lord sends them and they go. 
but not Jonah. Why not? Why does he rebel against the Lord? Now, you may think he was scared, fearful of his physical safety among his enemies. Or you may think he was afraid of failure. But if we look all the way ahead at the end of the book, and we'll spend more time on this when we get there, he gives us his own reason in chapter 4. The reason he fled. It's not because he was afraid of failure. He fled because he was afraid the Lord would grant him success. Jonah 4.2. O Lord, is not this why I said what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah saying, Lord, I told you so. I didn't want to do anything nice for these filthy pagans. I was afraid they might repent and then you might not destroy their city. And I know, I just know, Israel will never be safe until Nineveh is wiped off the map. All I wanted was for them to continue in their evil right up to the point when your wrath and your judgment falls upon them. Is that asking too much? And so Jonah let his hatred for the Ninevites lead him to decide that they don't deserve the word of God. They don't deserve any chance at the grace and mercy of God. Even though God himself had said otherwise. I, Jonah, say no. And this leads him to reject the word of the Lord. To run from the Lord. So instead of going to Nineveh, which would have required Jonah to go over land, the north, and then to the east, he goes the opposite direction. He boards a ship. He goes over water to the far west to Tarshish. Most scholars believe that Tarshish was located in modern-day Spain, about as far as you could get from Nineveh. But actually, if you read verse 3 closely, you notice the main point isn't that Jonah was trying to get far away from Nineveh. Rather, it says, and it says it twice, he repeats it for emphasis, Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He wasn't trying to get away from Nineveh. He was trying to get away from the Lord. And this is what we do in our sin. We run and we hide. It goes back to the very beginning, in the garden, when Adam and Eve tried to hide themselves from the Lord's presence in their shame. But is this possible? Is it possible to escape from the presence of the Lord? Well, you know what happens. You know Jonah failed. You know it isn't possible. But that doesn't mean that Jonah didn't try, just like Adam and Eve tried. And that doesn't mean we don't sometimes foolishly think we can get away from the Lord. Consider the words of Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Let me ask you, 
Are those words, Psalm 139, are those a comfort to you? Or do you find those truths troubling, even haunting? Now, the answer to that is it depends a lot on how your relationship with the Lord is at the moment. You can take great comfort in the Lord's inescapable presence, or it can be a fearful thing, a haunting thing that you cannot escape, you cannot hide from the Lord. Even if you are running and trying to flee, there is actually an ultimate comfort that the Lord will always find you out. But I do wonder, did Jonah really think he could get away? When he's on the ship and the sailors ask him who he is, he actually confesses in one nine, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He knows. He knew the Lord had created all things. He also clearly knew from the Lord's command to go to Nineveh that the Lord wasn't limited to the land of Israel. His rule extended over the whole Assyrian empire. And from there, it must, of course, extend to the whole earth. Now, perhaps he convinced himself if he somehow got out of the land of Israel, if he got far enough from the Lord's holy temple, he just might maybe escape. It might also be that we're to read this more literally. The the words translated the presence of the Lord, in the literal Hebrew, it means the, the face of the Lord. Perhaps he knew he couldn't get away from God's omnipresence. He's everywhere presence, but he could get away from the face of the Lord, his, his personal presence with his people. But I think more likely he, he simply wasn't thinking. He wasn't thinking rationally. He was just running, just running like his life depended on it. And if he stopped to consider it, he would have known there's nowhere he could go to escape from the presence of the Lord. His flight, it makes no rational sense, but... That's the nature of sin. It's irrational. It's destructive. But you're just doing what you want to do because you want to do it no matter the consequences. And that's what sin is. You disregard the Lord. You disregard his word. You disregard the cost to yourself. You disregard this cost to others. How it'll destroy relationships. How it'll destroy everything. It all goes out the window because this is what you want to do right now. We run away from God for all sorts of reasons. His word seems impossible or beyond us. We're ashamed of what we've done. We prefer the fleeting pleasures of this world. We're afraid that now that what we've done, now we can't go back to him, he won't accept us. Now here in Jonah we see that he could not process the grace of God. He not only believed that the Ninevites didn't deserve the Lord's mercy, but I don't think he realized that he needed, that he depended on the grace of God. He wanted those Ninevites to get God's strict justice. But if God were to treat him with that strict bar of justice, Jonah would never survive. None of us would. For we have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We have all run from God in our shame. We all need God's mercy. And we see that mercy here as God pursues Jonah. Now we're going to look at this in much more detail next time. But I can't finish this sermon without at least giving a preview, without giving the good news of what happens next. Jonah runs away, but the Lord doesn't let him go without a fight. 
I love the language in verse 4. The Lord hurled a great wind. A mighty tempest arose on the sea. Uh, This is all what the Lord is doing as he pursues Jonah on the sea. And even though Jonah was sleeping on the boat, the Lord does not let him rest easy in his sin. All the sins we commit, they all lead to storms in our lives. And the Lord uses these storms. He uses them to wake us up to our need for our Savior. He doesn't let us slumber. He doesn't let us sleepwalk through our lives until we go to ultimate destruction. When sins blow up your life, the Lord is using that. Like the Lord is using this storm to show Jonah that he was headed in the complete wrong direction. Ultimately, Jonah realizes that the only solution is to trust the Lord for him to be thrown into the sea. He realizes that there is no refuge in fleeing from God. The only refuge is in God himself. And while the Lord rescued Jonah from the waves by sending this great fish, that was only because there is another, one greater than Jonah, one who faced the wrath of God not for his own sin, but for the sin of all those who trust in him. Jesus is the one who went under the waves, who ultimately drowned on the cross. He drank the full foaming cup of the wrath of God that we deserved for our sins. He drank it down to the dregs. And it is only by turning and trusting in Jesus that you can receive the grace of God that you need so that you can stop running, stop hiding, and simply rest in the Lord. Let me ask you, what is the Lord using in your life right now to show you that he sees you, that he knows you, that running from him is hopeless? You cannot get away. You cannot hide. Your sin will find you out. And he will send storm after storm to pursue you. But he does this because he is a gracious and merciful God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You must come to him through Jesus Christ, recognizing that you need a savior, you need his mercy, just like everyone else, and you can contribute nothing to your salvation. There's no room for pride at the foot of the cross, no room for distinctions between us and them, Mercy for me, but not for thee. As Jonah here wants to say, no mercy for those people. Now at the cross, we're humbled to recognize that no one deserves the grace of God. Not me, not you. And so all you can do is say, thank you, Lord, that you would have mercy on a sinner like me. And most men... When they're lost, the last thing they want to do is ask for directions. I know this is a little bit different in this day of ubiquitous GPS, but perhaps you get lost in a store, you don't know where that thing is that you're trying to find, and the only way to find it is to ask someone for help. But you'll never ask for help until you admit that you're lost and you need help. If you're running from God, You need to recognize that you can never succeed, that you can never get away from him. 
Your life will only be storm after storm until you recognize your folly. You need to stop running. You need to turn back. Recognize that God is merciful and gracious. Turn back and trust in him. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a merciful Savior. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of Jonah and we look forward to all that you will teach us from this man, from his life, from this book. We thank you for the honesty we see here in this book as we read about the folly of this man and yet how you patiently taught him and helped him to learn of your grace and mercy and how we too need to learn and grow in our knowledge of you, our gracious God. And so, Father, help us to learn more deeply, to truly know that we can always rest in you, that we do not need to run and hide, but in all circumstances we can rest in your love and in Christ's finished work of the cross. And so, Father, help us not to hide in our shame, but to continually return to our Savior, to trust in him always. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.